Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen. I want you to join me, if you will, in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1. And um, pray that the Lord will just speak something into our heart today. Thank you, Brother Rayleigh, for the word of the Lord this morning and our singers and musicians for your ministry and song and I love the Lord and I appreciate I appreciate so much his presence the book of first Timothy chapter 1 the Bible says Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ which is our hope aren't you thankful for hope Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in the faith so do. Amen. I want to speak this morning from this subject, first things first. Brother Rayleigh mentioned this this morning, that at some point in all of our lives and in our walk with God, we have to stop and get the word of God in us. If we're going to shout, we need to have something to shout about and have an understanding of what we're shouting about. Amen. If there's going to be an affirmation of amen, we need to have an understanding of what we are affirming and what we're saying, so be it. Amen. And so I want to talk about first things first. You can be seated and thank you for your, your investment in this service spiritually. It's told there was an advertisement that appeared in a London newspaper in the late 1900s that read like this. Men wanted for a hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger. Safe return is doubtful. However, there will be honor and recognition in case we succeed. Believe it or not, thousands of men signed up for this mission. That seems a little startling to us, somewhat bewildered that anybody would respond, much less thousands, to such an awkward and dangerous proposition. But the key to this rather odd advertisement was the man that was making the appeal. That man's name was a noted Arctic explorer by the name of Sir, uh, of Sir Ernest Shackleton. And Ernest Shackleton was an explorer who had already led three successful British expeditions in the Antarctic. And uh, it was 
he that was the key and principal figure of a period that became known as a heroic age of Antarctic exploration. And so it was his track record. It was where he had been. It was his success stories of yesterday that gave these men confidence to raise their hand and say, I'll sign up for a mission because I believe at the end, according to what's happened in the past, there will be recognition and there will be honor because I have confidence that we will have success. In truth, if the Lord were to advertise for workers in his kingdom, the announcement may sound something like this. Men and women wanted for a difficult task of building my church. You will often be misunderstood, sometimes even by those that work with you. You will face constant attacks from, the, from an invisible enemy. You may not see results of your labor. Your full reward will not come until the task is completed. And it may cost you your home, your ambitions, and even your life. Amen. That may be what the Lord's announcement or advertisement would sound like today. But despite these seemingly unrealistic demands, I'm thankful that men and women of all ages are still raising their hand and saying, count me in, count me in. Just this uh, past district conference, we were privileged to meet with 28 young couples, one or 27 young couples, one young man, and uh, 19 of them were raising their hands to receive their license for the very first time. Amen. And so they were saying, count me in. To all the things that I just read, to all the things that I just expressed, I leaned over during the closing session of one of our meetings and I thought, the church is in great hands. I believe the trumpet could sound at any time and the Lord could call the church home. But I'm gonna tell you, should the Lord tarry his coming or delay it for any reason, the church at large is in great hands because men and women are still seeing the cause and they're still buying into what David said. He said when all were hiding, he said when all seemed lost, he said when Goliath was saying, send me out a man that we might fight together, young David said, Pose one question, is there not a cause? And we are standing today on a foundation of a very sincere and great cause. Amen, I believe that we're following the greatest leader of all time and without question, the task of building the church is certainly the greatest challenge that anyone could give their life to. In our text, Timothy was one young man that responded to the call to help build the church and when we're talking about building the church, we're not just talking about mystically building a church, but there's many aspects of building. Of course, there is a spiritual side, but there's also a very natural side of this. I remember uh, many years ago, or several years ago at least now, during one of the Because of the Time services, uh, Brother Joe Osborne was preaching, and it's a minister, it's a conference for ministers, and and uh, so he was he was speaking to some ministers on this day, and he said, you know, when you accept the pastor of that church, he said, you're not going to really need that Buick anymore. You're going to need a pickup truck. 
because you're going to have to haul some lumber to the church and you're going to be having to pick up some paint and you're going to need some step ladders and there's a lot of things to building a church. It's not just about a black leather Bible or soft-soled shoes, but there are times when you're going to have to roll up your sleeves and just go to work. Amen. Timothy was that young man that raised his hand and responded to the call of God. He was an assistant, if you please, to the Apostle Paul. He, along with Titus, tackled some of the toughest jobs, some of the greatest assignments of the churches that Paul had founded. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul talks about Timothy's rich heritage in the Lord, his rich heritage in the church. He said, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee which first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, he said, I am persuaded when I consider all things, I am persuaded that that same faith resides in you. He was raised in an environment, a godly home, a godly heritage. However, in 1 Timothy 1 and 2, Paul himself referred to Timothy as his son in the gospel. Perhaps a more clear picture to help us better understand that clause would be found in Philippians 2. While comforting the Philippian church, Paul said this. He said, but you know proof of him that as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And so Paul was not claiming to be his literal father, but he said, he is my son in the gospel. Timothy was learning the ministry by serving as an apprentice under and beside the apostle Paul. It was this father-son relationship, amen, that which a father would teach his own son a trade. They were working together hand in hand. This was a common way to learn how to get it done. Timothy's mother was a Jewess and his father, according to scripture, was a Greek. Amen. But he was so devoted to the work of God at large until we find in Acts chapter 16 that there were men much older than him that were recommending Timothy to Paul. They were saying, if you're looking for somebody, if you're looking for someone to help you, if you're looking for somebody that can get underneath the burden of this and help you bring a ministry to fruition, would you consider this young man named Timothy? And Paul often reminded Timothy that he was chosen for the ministry. Timothy was faithful to the Lord and had a deep concern and a true love for the people of God. But in spite of his calling and in spite of his close relationship with the apostle Paul and despite his own natural giftings, there were times that it seems at least in scripture that Timothy may have been easily discouraged. Now, now, lest we take out a sword and try to slaughter him for having a call of God on his life and yet battling discouraging moments, we need to understand something that there's no one here exempt from those very same things. The last time Paul was with Timothy, he said, he said I, I'm encouraging you. I'm encouraging you to stay on track. Amen, he said, I need you to stay in Ephesus and finish the work. Amen, I need you to stay with the task. Perhaps this lends a little credibility to the idea that maybe Timothy was discouraged about what things were not happening there, things that were not coming full circle. Ephesus, I can tell you, would not be the easiest place to pastor. It would not be the easiest congregation. It would not be the easiest city to pastor in because the city itself was devoted to the worship of Diana. Diana is referred to as the great goddess Diana and she was worshiped 
along with many other heathen idols, but and with in a, in a, and along with many other heathen nations, but it was in Ephesus where the most noted temple to the great goddess of Diana was built. At that moment in time, it was one of the seven wonders of the, of the ancient world. And according to history, the temple that was built to the great goddess Diana took some 220 years to build. It was made of nothing but pure marble, four, 342 feet long, 160 feet wide, and its pillars that held it up were 56 feet in the air. And so this was no hut. This was no small tent. Amen. This was a great statement, a monument that was built to the great goddess Diana. It was a sacred museum, a place for masterpieces of, of sculpture and a masterpieces of paintings. And if you study anything about her, you will know that the spirit of Diana created a very promiscuous atmosphere. And just for the sake of a mixed audience, I'll just stop at that. But the great goddess Diana was a very perverted, created a very perverted atmosphere in the city of Ephesus. Amen. But here, so we now see Ephesus perhaps a little bit differently. Right on the outskirts, here is this great temple that's built to a very promiscuous spirit to worship and to bow down. But according to Acts 19, the Bible says that the Apostle Paul did a great work in Ephesus. As a matter of fact, in, in, the, in chapter 19 and verse 10, the Bible says, and all they which dwelt in the providences of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now think about that. In a very difficult city and against a backdrop that would not be conducive to spiritual purity, the Bible says all that dwelt there heard the word of the Lord. Amen. I want to just pause here and tell you today that no matter how dark it is outside, no matter what may be going on in our world, I don't think we can look at those things and determine what we ought to be doing here. Amen. And say, well, we can never get this done. All this evil, all all this darkness, all this confusion, I will tell you today, amen, that if the apostle Paul in the midst of all of that could reach every soul, that every, didn't say everybody responded, but it said they all heard the word. And I'm gonna tell you this day, amen, this day, no matter what's going on in our world, no matter what's going on around the world, I pray that the Lord will help us keep the trumpet of truth to our lips. We can't make up a man's mind. We can't make up a woman's mind. But I'll tell you what we can do. We can just sound the trumpet of truth. First things first. Where we ought to start is making sure that there is truth preached from this pulpit. We ought to make sure there is truth that is loved in this house truth that is loved in our home, truth that's loved in our heart. There has to be a foundation of truth. Amen, of course, in the city of Ephesus, Satan had workers in the city. Rest assured, where there are spiritual opportunities, there's always gonna be satanic opposition. Always, always. Amen. Therefore, Paul wrote the book that we call First Timothy. He was writing this book to encourage his son in the gospel. Amen. He wrote with clarity about how the local church should operate. In First Timothy 1 and 1, the apostle Paul explained the responsibilities of the pastor, so to speak. That's what we would call it today. And he also explained the 
the responsibilities of the local congregation. In short, his message was clear. In short, his message was very succinct. Amen. The message was this, teach sound doctrine. Amen. Teach sound doctrine. And so from the very opening of the letter, the apostle Paul affirmed his authority as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am an apostle or one who has sent with a special commission. His apostleship came by commandment from Jesus Christ. And that word means a royal commission. Paul said, I didn't just show up as a Johnny come lately. I didn't just blow into town like a tumbleweed, but I am here against the backdrop of all things evil. I am here against the backdrop of all things dark to shine a light, a light of truth. And I'm gonna tell you the church, the church is not just a place that we socialize. The church is not just a place where we fellowship. The church is not just a place where we marry our young and bury our old, but the church of the living God. Amen, we have been sent as a royal commission. I'm thankful for the rich history of this church. Amen, this church was planted right where we are today. A royal commission. That commission is to be a light in a dark world. It's to be truth, amen, in a world full of falsehoods. It is to be accuracy in a world full of inaccuracy. Praise God. One reason the church must stay focused is because false teachers are always busy trying to capture the mind and the heart of people everywhere. There were teachers of false doctrines in Paul's day, just like they are today. And we must take that seriously. We must take that seriously. False teachers have no good news to those that are lost. They seek instead to lead people away from things that are true and capture their minds for their causes. And so Paul uses his military language to help Timothy and his people see the seriousness of the problem. The word charge that he uses in verse three means to give strict orders, but not just strict orders from anyone, but strict orders from a superior officer. Paul used the word eight times in his two letters to Timothy. It's sometimes translated, that word is sometimes translated as commandment or command, but the meaning is all the same. So over and over and over, the apostle Paul was telling young Timothy, you gotta stand and declare it. You gotta stand and command it. You gotta stand, amen, because there is a, there is a pushback. Can you, can you witness that with me? There is a pushback in the world that we are living in to just let it all down and let it all go. Amen, you just believe what you wanna believe, I'll believe what I wanna believe, and somehow mystically we're just gonna meet in the sweet by and by. Amen, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is destruction. Amen, I wanna find the way. Amen, the way is the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanna find the truth. The truth is the Lord Jesus Christ, the light. I I want to find the light. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Timothy, Timothy, you're not only the pastor of a church in a difficult city, but you're also a soldier of the Lord with orders from a king. And so you got to pass these orders on. Amen. So what was the order? The order is found in verse number three, that thou mightest charge some that teach no other doctrine. You need to charge them that there's just one message. Amen. There is something to be said. 
I'm not just talking about for myself, but I can speak from the history of this church. There's something to be said about this pulpit not having a revolving door on it. Amen, just anything that walks in the door with a Bible under their arm, making their way to the pulpit. No, no, no. Amen, we need to make sure what's coming across here is gonna be sound. We gotta make sure what's coming across here is accurate. Amen, we've gotta make sure that nobody's gonna teach no other doctrine, that we stand for that that is truth. Hallelujah. In the early church, the believers were taught the word of God and they were taught basic Christian principles or doctrines. But in many churches today, I'm not being cynical, but I have to be honest with you, that in many churches today, pulpits have just merely turned into places for entertainment. Amen, the pulpit is not a place of enlightenment. It is not a place of enrichment. It is not a place of revelation. But I believe the pulpit ought to always be a light. Amen, there ought to always be an illumination of the word of God. God had committed the truth to Paul. And Paul said, now I'm committing that truth to you, Timothy. And now, Timothy, it is your responsibility to do something with that truth. The first thing you gotta do is guard it. The first thing you gotta do is protect it. But he was not talking about hoarding it. Amen, he didn't say, I need you to guard it as in hoarding it, but I need you to guard it, I need you to keep it pure, and I need you to pass it to another generation. Amen. I know you've heard me use this illustration some at least through the years, but when we read in the book of Ezra, the Bible says that Ezra stood behind a wooden platform or pulpit and he began to declare the word of God. And with Ezra, with Ezra there were men on one side and there were men on the other side, but there also were men all throughout the congregation that had gathered. Today you can hear me from the front of the building to the back of the building. You could probably hear me outside of this building because we have technology that helps amplify our voice and get it beyond just the point of what it would be without our help. But in that day, they didn't have a PA system. In that day, they didn't have a microphone and speakers and all the trimmings that go with that. And so they had to strategically place people all throughout the congregation. And so as Ezra read the word of the Lord, amen, also there were those that didn't even speak the same language. So somebody had to interpret that word and that word had to be passed from the front of that congregation all the way to the end of that congregation. I'm gonna tell you it's a great responsibility to get a word and to keep that word true and to say that word to another generation. Amen, listen to the next generation. Make sure they're gonna get it to that generation. We've gotta make sure we get this right. And so Paul, I Paul, I charge you Timothy. Amen, here is the word, but don't just hoard the word, guard the word, but don't just guard the word because you've got to give that word to another generation. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to tell you first things first. First things first. It won't be about our system. The first things first won't be about our strategy. First things first will not be about our plans and all that we project for the future. First things first will be to guard this pulpit. Amen. And to guard the word of God and to guard my mind and to guard my heart because another generation deserves to hear what we hear. Praise God. Indeed they do. Paul identified false teaching in 1 Timothy 1 and 4 as fables and, and endless genealogies. And so the false teachers were using the Old Testament law and especially the genealogies to manufacture all kind of things. Sadly, these new doctrines were 
were leading people astray. False teachers were raising questions, but they couldn't answer those questions. They were not promoting the salvation plan, so to speak. They were just leading people from truth. And so instead of, in, in a, instead of producing love and purity and sincere faith, all these false teachers were doing were causing division and hypocrisy and all manner of problems. And so Paul used the word conscience 21 times in his letter, in his letters, the word conscience. Six of these references are in First and Second Timothy and, and also the book of Titus. The word conscience means to know with. I think we all understand what conscience means. That conscience in its purest sense serves as an inner judge, our conscience. I understand and I'll cover this in just a moment, but our conscience in its purest state, it accuses us when we have done wrong and it approves us when we have done right. That's what our conscience is. Titus 1 and 15, however, warns us and says that it is possible to sin against our conscience until our conscience becomes defiled. 1 Timothy 4 and 2 reminds us that if we keep repeating sin and our conscience continues to get defiled, that it becomes hardened and it's what the scripture uses the term seared. Our conscience becomes seared as with a hot iron. It gets calloused over and things that used to bother us no longer bother us. And so it's a very tragic thing when Holy Ghost filled men and women profess to know the Lord, amen, but they refuse to hear or sadly refuse to receive sound doctrine and because their conscience is seared. I don't think that's important anymore. I don't think that that's necessary anymore. Paul makes several references to make the same point. As a matter of fact, he said in 1 Timothy 6.3, he calls it the doctrine according to godliness. In 2 Timothy 1.13, he called it sound words. In 2 Timothy 4 and 3, he called it sound doctrine. In Titus 1 and 13, he called it faith. In Titus 2 and 8, he calls it sound speech. Nevertheless, the point is the same. There must be a message of clarity. There must be a message of clarity. I am so thankful to have been raised in an atmosphere. Amen, I'm just a couple of months away from my 60th birthday and to date. I'm so thankful that I've never had to wrestle and debate and wonder about the soundness of the word of God. Amen, I've heard the same thing taught my whole entire life. Amen, I've had it affirmed not just by the mouthpieces of others, but God has confirmed it in my own heart. I'm thankful for grandparents, I'm thankful for my heritage, but I'm not here today just because I have a heritage. I'm here because I have a revelation. I'm not just here because somebody brought me to church, but I'm here because a light shined in my own life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I haven't had a mother and a father to wake me up on Sunday morning in a long, long time. Haven't had aunts and uncles to call and ask me where I was in a long, long time, but I got an account settled, and I settled it long ago. I settled it on my knees. I settled in his presence. I said, Lord, you can just count on me. You can count me in. Praise God. In 1 Timothy 1 and 6, Paul uses this very odd, I want them to put the scripture on the screen, if you will, this, this odd terminology, 1 Timothy 1 and 6, Paul says, from which some have swerved having turned aside unto vain jangling. 
In other words, Paul was referring to those that just teach novelties rather than the word of God. Just talking about good things, moral things. But it's more than that. You have to be more than just a good person to make heaven your home. You gotta do more than pay your bills and pay your taxes to make heaven your home. Amen, the pure word of God is a light that'll lead the way the light of revelation. I'm preaching and teaching to people this morning who have experienced the light of revelation while the word of God was being taught or while the word of God was being preached. Just while in the purity of the word of God, a light came on in your own heart and you began to see the way more clearly. Amen. But I just wanna take this one step further. Not only do we need soundness of word in our teaching and in our preaching, I believe that we need soundness of word in our music and in our singing as well. Amen, I appreciate that we don't have to worry about that around here, but it just never hurts to back up and underline a central truth that a singer has no more right to lie while they're singing than a teacher or a preacher has a right to lie while they're teaching or preaching. There must be soundness, soundness. Amen, as they were singing this morning, I looked over Brother Fears and I said, oh my word, the power of that song, the power of that song, the words, amen, that are hitting my heart, hallelujah. Just because something has a cute jingle or just because something has a rhyme doesn't mean it has a healthy message. Just consider Rockabye Baby. <laughs> That's not a 60 song either. Rockabye Baby on the treetops. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. And down will come baby cradle and all. I mean, it went from a real cutesy story to death. We need to consider the whole message. You do with that song at home what you want to do with. You got my point. Amen. I'll ask our musicians to come. The reason for this false doctrine was the misuse of the Old Testament law. The teachers didn't understand the content or the purpose of God's law. And so they were leading believers out of the liberty of grace and into the bondage of legalism. And that's, that's what you find. That's what Paul was fighting. Because as odd as this statement is going to sound, there's truth here. That flesh loves religious legalism. Maybe not all flesh. But flesh loves legal, loves religious legalism. There's a, a number of people that would just give anything in the world if I would create a list of do's and don'ts as a pastor of this church. And then we could just get up every day and check the boxes and all is well. Because you see, that takes a lot of weight off of you and just puts all the weight on the pulpit. And then we got to hire all kind of people to go crawl around the hedges at night and make sure you're doing all that. That's just another thing that comes along with that. The more difficult thing is to discipline our heart. And I'm not saying there's not do's or don'ts. Not at all. 
But the much taller hill is getting my heart right. Then it, it won't matter who drives up. It won't matter who walks in. It won't matter who you run into. Because we got some things settled here. Amen. You see, the law can't save sinners. It just reveals our need. And we need something to take us beyond that. We need something that can save us. But that's not to say the law is not important because it is important. So here's my point today is that the law and the gospel must go together. They must go together. The law without the gospel is just a diagnosis without a remedy. But the gospel without the law is only good news of salvation for people who don't believe they need it because they've never heard the bad news of judgment. So they must go hand in hand. We need both. We need both. And so my message today is simply this, that we must have first things first. There must be a voice in pulpits across our nation around the world that are, are declaring the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. I'll ask you to stand. I was in a place of business recently. And someone in that place that knows I am a preacher, she said, I... I was in our church the other day and, and the man leading the service said, we're going to do something today we haven't done in a long, long time. And then he said, we're going to pray. I was not prepared to hear that. I'm being very serious. Pray. My house shall be called the house of prayer. How could we reach the point that we get up and say, we're going to do something we haven't done in a long, long time. We're going to reach back to the fundamentals. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not being critical. I'm glad somebody said, we better get back. We better get back. We had better get back. A few decades ago, fire ants were accidentally transported across the southern United States. And at first, it looked as though they would virtually take over. They were amazingly adaptable, fiercely aggressive, and they seemed to multiply overnight. Worst of all, insecticide sprays generally can't destroy the mounds of its inhabitants. Like a mighty army, they just marched in and they seemed to have just an impervious brute force. However, scientists found a rather crafty way to wipe out entire colonies. So they invented pellets of the ant's favorite food tainted with a special tasteless, odorless poison. And they began to sprinkle that around the mound and it's similar to what we use today. The worker ants immediately begin gathering what they think is a treasure and they take it to the heart of the colony. Then they unwittingly feed the poison pellets to their queen slowly but surely killing her. When the queen dies, no more workers are produced and so in a couple of weeks, 
and the entire colony starves to death. And I believe we see the obvious irony. Something that looks so good, something that would help us prevent starvation, really brought us to our demise. And that's how it is with false doctrine. Just enough truth mixed in. Just enough blurred lines that masses follow. Amen. I'm going to tell you there's a line and we must keep the line clear. Amen. We've got to keep the line clear. You know, amid the many things that an umpire takes with him to his job behind that home base, he's got a mask and all kind of protective gear, but among many things that he has in his possession is a small broom. Because in the course of a game, home base can get covered up. Somebody's sliding in. Things are happening. So every now and then, the referee, the umpire rather, just reaches down. We gotta make sure this is clear. Because this is where the points are called. This is, this is where games are won or lost, right here. And so what I'm done today with the help of the Lord is just pulled out a broom. We're just sweeping off. Because this is where lives are won or lost. This is where churches succeed or fail. It's right here. It's right here. Amen. Amid the many wonderful and important and, and, and we're so gracious to have all the ministries of our church. But if this gets off, if this gets off, we're all gonna be in trouble. Amen. Let's magnify the Lord together in this song. Amen. First things first. Let's make sure that the doctrine is sound. Amen. Let's make sure that sound doctrine, that's a staple item. Amen. That's just right here in this house. We're going to make sure it's right. We're going to keep it so that we can pass it. In the name of the Lord, can we lift our hands maybe in our voices together? Thank you, Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.